Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> On this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, I've got Mr. Doug Boykin on the mic. He's going to be here. Most of you may know him as Carl Boykin. He had to change his name, go into the witness protection program, and hide from the Facebook police and change his Facebook profile to Carl Boykin. But he goes by Doug. Threw me for a loop when I started talking to him, too. Uh, when we started setting up the show, but but Doug has hunted lions in the dirt, in the snow, from Wyoming to Arizona. Been doing it for about 60 years, and it's fun. 
man, this guy's a blast. It's going to be a fun episode. We talk about everything from from lion hunting in Arizona to to classic old stories from Wyoming about being under a mountain lion for 30-some hours, camped out under it. What a great time, man. I'll tell you what. uh, We also talk about the question that I love to ask every lion hunter. Do lions pick up their scent? Doug has a perspective on this he's going to share it with you the old south dog box is rocking it's time to get the tailgate down it's time to dump the box briar creek kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter boots lights collars and tracking equipment dog boxes kennel supplies collars clothes squalors whoo they have it all briar creek kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top-of-the-industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> so we don't, the police are knocking on the door or will be shortly, huh? Yeah. Well, I guess it went in. At least it's not the Facebook police and shutting your your account down here, Doug. Yeah, yeah, that's guys always got to watch that. Don't have to watch too close either. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I'm glad that you uh, joined me on the podcast. Let's just talk about. I think everybody on Facebook probably knows you as Carl Boykin. I was I was calling you Carl for a long time, and you kept saying stuff about Doug, and I'm like, who the heck's Doug? I don't even know Doug. <laughs> how'd yeah, that all come about that, that's a long story I, I used to be Doug on there but they finally banned me you know probably political stuff or something ah uh, I got you I yeah. got you. you got your count restricted and removed and all that stuff yeah I've got, a, I've got another friend of mine down in Louisiana that uh we hunt a lot together get dogs he i get a lot of dogs from him and stuff but i'm not even going to say his actual facebook handle just because i don't want him to get banned again but uh he he doesn't post anything out of the way you know i mean he doesn't i don't i have no idea why he got but but all those social media platforms are so finicky these days man i don't like i wish i could unplug from all of them tell you the truth yeah it's 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 almost essential nowadays the way things have changed you know uh yeah well you're trying you're trying to run a business i'm trying to run a business and it's an it's a great way to stay in contact with people but as far as as far as um being a pain in the butt it sure is it is (laughs) and i i like to i like to unplug from it and, uh, you know, be, be places where I don't have to look at it for like five days at a time, just kind of escape all of it. Tell you the truth. Yeah. I hear you, but I'll tell you one thing about it. 
I wouldn't have found you to be on this podcast if it wasn't for social media, if it wasn't for Facebook. And uh, Doug, you, you, the reason I wanted to have you on here is is uh, multiple reasons, but but I like the way you tell the stories and and you tell other people's stories, and and I just want to talk to you about you know how you got your start, where you're originally from. Uh, I guess we just start at the beginning with with um, you know, you being a houndsman and, and catching lions, where did that all start? Well, when I was a little kid, uh, probably seven or eight years old, there was a houndsman named Vern Phillips. And I'm sure a lot of people that hear this podcast will know that name. Mm -hmm. uh, I was raised on a ranch and my grandma also, grandma and grandpa also had a ranch. Well, I was at grandma and grandpa's helping them. Where was and that ranch located? That's in Encampment, Wyoming. Okay. Saratoga. Uh huh. And uh, he came out to the ranch every now and then and went coon hunting. Well, I just happened to be there. And uh, he come and asked Grandma if he could go down the creek there hunting coons. And he had a box full of dogs, you know. And I was over there petting the dogs and stuff while he was visiting i was enthralled with them dogs well he asked grandma he says well maybe your grandson like to come along too well that was the start of a, <laughs> a bad habit you could have been a millionaire if you hadn't have gone on that coon hunt yeah <laughs> about right well, anyway, a little later on uh couple of years later uh, one of the kids in school had a batch of hound dog puppies he said we're trying to get rid of some of these puppies and you've been talking about it in class and different things he said you want to have one of them puppies i said sure i'd love to they were black and tan puppies oh okay and uh anyhow long story short i could go on forever but i got the pup and i I, I was raised by my mom and I had a brother that never done anything in his life. He had some health problems and whatnot and we was on a ranch. And so I didn't do too much school after school activities, but I did have a trap line going. I took that dog with me everywhere I went on the trap line. So yeah. that was a stop. Yeah. And, uh, we could go on forever, but my That's kid, what we're here for. Just go on. <laughs> just keep going, man. That's why we're here. Well, I had a lot of fun with that dog, and it was about three, four years old, and I must have been about 15, and I had won a trip to uh, uh, Chicago for a national livestock judging contest. And while I was going to Chicago, apparently my dog got into my mom's sheep. I mean, the thing never chased a sheep before in his life when it was just me and him going back and forth, you know. Never bothered nothing. Well, supposedly it was this dog. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got home, she goes, you're going to have to do something with that dog. It got into the sheep. We had problems with town dogs all the time coming mm -hmm. out there, and you'd have to shoot them, you know. She says, you're either going to shoot the dog or I'm going to. Well, I didn't want to give her the satisfaction, but it about killed me. I had to do it because I didn't, I didn't know. I just took her for her word, you know, anyhow. So then I didn't have a hound for a while till I, till I got my little kids. I raised two boys by myself and they was probably four or five years old. Mm -hmm. And then 
I got another dog. He went and they trailed around behind me, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. What year would you? What year would that have been when you got that first hound, Doug? The very first one that would have been about nineteen sixty three or four. Yeah, you were yeah. so okay. You've seen a lot of changes. You've seen a lot uh, in hunting in the world. You know, in the being able to hunt in the world and different things like that. Uh, I can't wait to get into this with you. So, so did you start an outfitting business in Wyoming? Were you hunting for other people, or were you just were you just hunting for yourself? And I mean, how did you get from you know, getting a hound and having two little boys to to run in an outfitting business. Now, that's that's kind of what I want to talk about first with you. Well, it's another long story. I was at a I was at a church dinner. My little kid was about oh eight eight nine years old, and some people from Michigan had moved into town, and they had four little kids. And them little kids was outside while we was visiting in there, and they they throwed a rock and broke my my wife's windshield at the, at the time. <laughs> so oh, no. he was all pissed off, you know, going to make them pay for it. I said, "Oh, come on, they're just kids, you know. It happens. We got insurance on the window, blah blah blah." Well, this guy was so apologetic, you know. He says, "You know, I got a coon dog I brought back from Michigan." and four puppies and and he says you wouldn't want to trade that coon dog for the window i says no but if you need to get rid of the coon dog i would take her you know and and so that's how that started and i had them four good pups they was registered black and tan pups out of michigan mm -hmm. i got home turned her loose in the yard and she had a coon tree before i could get her in the house in the <laughs> in the yard so I'd always wanted to hunt a mountain lion myself, you know. I've been with yeah. other people a couple of times, and they they was unsuccessful. But everybody told me, including old Vern Phillips, he says he he had Walker dogs, and they was good Walker dogs. But he always told me, he says, "You ain't never gonna catch no. It'll take you two three years to get you a lion with a coon dog, you know, blah blah blah." Everybody told me that. What what do you remember the breeding on those Walker dogs? Uh, I don't know, but if you've ever heard of Bob Morosic, and uh, I don't remember the breeding, but they was good dogs. And Vern went all over the country doing these coon dog competitions. Mm -hmm. But he was a he was a lion hunter, a premier lion hunter. So the the guy that was telling you you wouldn't catch uh, a lion with coon dogs was using coon dogs to catch lions yeah but there was more people around you know right right more people around tell you that story you ain't gonna catch nothing with that dog you know <laughs> burn it was because he had them walker dogs you know he loved them walker dogs yeah and he was just probably giving me shit because it was a black and tan you know well of course but anyhow yeah so like my first two weeks out i had this old 73 uh half ton ford pickup and uh was it two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive no it was four-wheel drive no kidding but but i was wearing that thing out now 
hunting for a lion track. Well, I found one. It was a female. And that one dog by herself caught the lion. And I, so I took pictures and went on. This was about two weeks, I don't know, two weeks in maybe. Mm-hmm. Then I caught another one. And, man, she was she was a dog. I mean, a good dog. Yeah. So then one day it was like 30 below. It was a, it was a Super Bowl Sunday. I don't watch Super Bowl stuff, but went out, found a female track. And it was cold. I mean, so cold. And uh, so I called this buddy of mine, Robin Blake. Everybody called him Boone. Him and me went through school together. Called him on the bag phone. And I said, Boone found this track. Come up here. So he showed up on his snowmobile. And they they tracked the line down. And I said, oh, hell, it's another female. It was a big old female. Uh-huh. And I said, I ain't going to shoot that thing. <laughs> He goes, if you don't shoot the deer killing thing, I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, I took my first lion on Super Bowl Sunday. I don't remember the year, but it was, it was probably maybe late eighties, early nineties. Oh, really? Somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't it, even know who would have been playing in the Super Bowl in those years. Probably the 49ers, I would say. Yeah. That, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I was a I was a football. I I still watch football, but uh, all right. So so how did you know, without um, being an experienced lion hunter, that you were looking at at female tracks versus tom tracks? Well, I had went a few times with a, a old friend of mine that I helped. He was a young kid actually. Uh, his his daddy got in a uh car accident on new year's eve and kind of paralyzed him and we we had cows to milk four or five of them by hand all the time and so part of his rehabilitation we told him he'd come out and milk them cows well he had one good hand half of his body was kind of paralyzed he couldn't mm-hmm. walk well but he had one good hand one bad hand well we was rehabilitating him milking them cows and he had all these little kids running around and one of them little kids was this guy named dean talbot mm-hmm. so i went with him a few times and learned what the tracks looked like and blah 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 yeah and is uh, there a certain thing to the gate i mean how do you judge it how, let's just i'll just ask you, you how do you judge a, a female track from a tom track usually the female track the toes are a little more pointed and, and a little smaller and the tom tracks are more like your thumb, you know, a little fatter and kind of look like grapes. Yes. And the, yeah, and the female tracks look a little more like like teardrop. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Like fascio instead of a grape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to put it. Uh all right. So yeah. How many you started lion hunting, you started catching some lions. Were you hooked or were you thinking, you know, this is fun. I might keep doing it. Where were you at at this time, Doug? I was, I was hooked. Yeah. Did you hunt other stuff at the time? I mean, were you elk hunting um, and doing all that or were you? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up, uh, on the ranch. We didn't eat, we didn't eat our beef because we needed to sell them to make money to pay for everything you know yeah unless it was a a bull that broke his yin yang or a cow that was lame or something you know Mm -hmm. we didn't 
when I got in 4-H and started raising 4-H calves, you know, I got yeah. to where I was raising two, and then we'd eat one of them. But uh, we ate a lot of wild game. Yeah, yeah. But it, so so you started catching some lions. I mean, how did you get into the the outfitting side of it? How many years did you did you just hunt and and catch lions for you and and your own pleasure and your family and friends and stuff like that? Hey, before we get into any more of this podcast, I got to tell you about our partners over at Go Wild. What a great social media platform that is! It's a place where hunters can go and talk about hunting and not worried about being censored. If you haven't got an account over at Go Wild, download their app today. Time to go wild.com is where you can find them on the web. And what they've done is they've partnered with Mountain Tough. And they're doing a promo called the Mountain Tough Go Wild Workout Challenge. It runs from now through February 5th. And so what you're going to do need to do is go over and get that account over on Go Wild and download and sign up and let everyone know in a go wild post that you're joining them you're joining us over at go wild and mountain tough when you do that you're going to get 30 days free with the mount with mountain tough they're a company that designs workout programs designed for hunters guys like me that need it so go on over to go wild and get signed up there the big one that i'm excited about is the go wild utv giveaway between January 16th through March 31st, here's how it works, folks. You need to sign up for that Go Wild deal. And then if you're already a Go Wild member, enter a chance to win by sharing the app with the rewards link. So uh, everybody that's on the app, you push that share button. Every time somebody uses your link to sign up for Go Wild, you get your name in the hat for a Polaris UTV. If you're not, then like I said, go wild accounts are free. You're automatically going to get an entry for a chance to win that Polaris UTV. And then you're going to invite your friends to come along. There's more information. You can find them at on this. You can find it at time to go wild.com forward slash UTV. And then finally, the great American outdoor show is coming up. Go Wild is going to be there in booth 412. Heath and I are going to be there a couple days. We'll watch our social media for those dates so you can come by and meet us and hang out with us. And you're going to show up at booth 412. And when you're wearing a Go Wild hat, you're going to get a free gift. I don't know what that is. They haven't even told me what that's going to be. If it's a kiss from Jacob or Braden, I'm going to decline and run the other way. But anyway, hey, check out the schedule there for the great american outdoor show in harrisburg pennsylvania stop by the booth booth number 412 see what go wild's got going on heath and i are going to be there for a few days and uh wear your go wild hat and wear a houndsman xp t-shirt please that'd be cool we might give you a free gift too and it won't be a kiss from me or heath i promise check all those things out at time to go wild.com I think it was about 95, maybe, when I got into outfitting. I don't know. I caught a lot of lions for friends. and and uh, So five, six years in, you, you, yeah. you decided 
you know, I, I like this and I'm catching a lot of lines. I might as well make a little extra money doing it. Yeah. Well, I worked for some other outfitters and, uh, you know, you'd, you'd trail a line 10 miles in somewhere and they'd say, if you, if you find one, we got a hunter, you know, mm -hmm. so you'd call them. You'd, back then you didn't have to have the hunter right there with you. You could, yeah. you could, uh, trail a lion, call the hunter from the tree and say, Hey, we got it. Mm -hmm. You know, now you can't do that. I'll tell you another story about that one here in a little bit. But so I trailed this lion into the nastiest place in the world where they always go. And I, and he told me he had a hunter. I called him and, uh, he says, Oh, well that guy canceled and the snow was about knee deep. I was done and the dogs was done. Right. So I said, you know what? This ain't cutting it. I'm not and it happened to me a few times. Mm hmm So I said, I'm gonna do this shit myself. So I went and got the license and the permits from the Forest Service and all the crap you gotta go through to get them, you know. Yeah. And I I built a website or I had a website built. Back then that was a big deal, you know, have a website why. Good thing Al Gore invented the internet for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, that is funny. But uh, back then, the website really panned out. Well, then, after a few of those, by then I had a, a lot of word of mouth reputation going, and mm -hmm. uh, the website kind of went away. Really? The but website, you don't have a website today? I do have a website today, but it's mm -hmm. been unproductive, you know, basically. Yeah. People, social media thing is the biggest, and word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the website, not so much, uh, maybe, I don't know, whether everything ain't perfect on there. What I'm not a technical guy. I had the website built. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us that story about, uh, you know, calling the client in that you said you're going to tell us, I want to hear that story. You, you, you hook, you drew me in and hooked me with that one. I want to hear it. Well, back in the day, you know, I had telemetry then that was after, after I got telemetry, but I found this huge Tom and I had, when I find a big one like that, I don't let it go. I just keep going and going and going until I usually get it. Mm -hmm. found this big tom and several other outfitters had found it too even the ones that i'd worked for and i followed that tom around and around in circles for a month and some of them had turned loose and didn't catch the thing either and they was watching it too yeah and finally one day the stars lined up matter of fact i followed this tom one day 10 miles and i watched in the snow where he jumped a huge five point buck deer killed it. You could see the whole thing in the snow, yeah. fought with it, killed it, never took a bite out of it and kept on walking. No kidding. Yeah. Did you jump him off the kill or do you, no. how, far, how long no, do you he, think you were behind him? He was eight hours ahead of me, you know, at least. I don't know how many times he was eight hours ahead of me, but he didn't stop walking much. He was just. Anyway, the day that I caught him, he finally quit walking. But I got to the tree, and I called a guy in Stony Point, New York. And he flew out from Stony Point. I stayed under that tree. It was in December. It was colder than a 
hub the hell it was in wyoming <laughs> <laughs> and and i built a little fire there in the rocks you know trying to stay warm and he showed up 30 30 some hours later it was in the afternoon the next day and a, a friend of mine that dean talbot and my son took him horseback and brought him in there yeah and uh he killed the lion, but the lion kept falling asleep during the night, you know. And you'd hear the branches wiggle a little bit, and then the dogs would wake up and start roaring again, you know. Yeah. I didn't get much sleep. So, all right. So, when you took off on foot with it after this thing, do you have any food with you, or do you have any? I, I didn't, but they brought me in a little mini bottle of whiskey and some food horseback <laughs> the evening that, that I had it, and then they yeah. come back with that hunter okay all right but now i'm, now I'm that line for a month four four circles that line made in a month how how big a circle how big were they i would guess probably uh he'd go about 12 miles one way and then about three or four miles the other way and then 12 miles back and three, four miles. I don't know. Was it just kind of, was he hemmed in by terrain, mountain ranges and valleys and he was just kind of running the same route? He was hemmed in by snow and he had about three or four females he was checking on. Uh, and I guess that was just his territory, you know? Sure. Yeah. But I How know... Is that is that pretty typical of a of a Tom Lyons range out there in your country, or is it? Have you seen bigger? Or what do you think? It varies. Some of them it takes longer than that to make a a round. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's probably pretty typical about every week, you know, for the ones that we've uh, worked on. But some of them are a little longer. A lot of game in that. A lot of food in that, and cover and good habitat right there where he was. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he was bound by snow above. It, the snow gets deep up there, and mm -hmm. I don't know what summertime. I don't know what his summertime route would have been. Yeah. In the winter, in the winter, he'd had trouble getting up any higher. <laughs> yeah, he'd had to pack some snowshoes with him for sure. Uh, yeah. So, what's it like to spend thirty six hours under it? treed lion i don't i want to ask i've got questions about that i mean you're building fires how are the dogs acting um you know let's talk a little bit about that that's a great story man i can't let that one go they they run out of i'll do that one i'll do that story one of these days i got pictures but it's on video so i gotta download it to my computer somehow i'm still trying i used to carry a little video camera around that uh -huh. was before, before these smartphones and so we took them videos and my ex-wife did and put them on a disc. Mm -hmm. So now I got to get them off the disc and onto my phone somehow to get the pictures and the videos and stuff off of it. Yeah. Any, anyway, to answer your question, uh, I didn't do that too many times, but a couple of times, but the, the game and fish, they finally, which is good. They made it to where you couldn't just some big fat hunter want to, uh, kill a lion and no, they didn't experience the whole thing right you know right that guy that guy he was really excited his name was uh richard 
uh, Richard. Uh, I can't even think of his last name, but it right. was a book. It was a book line. Uh huh. And he was he was really happy. And you know how them New Yorkers have that accent and <laughs> funny shit. We had more fun. <laughs> Richard Sissick was his oh, name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he he just was it like a bucket list for him, or did he did he actually appreciate the struggle and the effort and everything that you put into that for him? He appreciated the effort and the struggle. I mean, yeah. we've had guys that don't, you know. We we killed one this fall that was a giant, and that guy, uh, that guy, you know, he had just had a lot of money, and I guess wanted one because he didn't. I got him to smile one time. Yeah. In, yeah. in the whole trip and that was he missed it the first well he didn't miss it but he just uh grazed it on the chest a little bit yeah and and i told him i said you need to take a rest with that gun because it was a little short 30 30 you just bought it shot one shell when he bought the thing at the store yeah and he didn't take a rest and he made it jump and it was in a bad place and when it treated again i said you need to take a rest this time I'm serious. We're not going to keep pooping around here. And he did. He shot the line and it finally come out of the tree and it was like straight down on a rock pile. And when it lit, you know, you could tell it bounced down through them rocks. And I hollered over there. I said, well, you missed him again, but the fall broke his neck. <laughs> and he finally smiled. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, all right. So, so what kind of hounds? Well, let's not, we'll talk about hounds in a minute. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. How did you get from how many years do you operate in Wyoming as your main primary base? And then when did you move down to Arizona? Uh, I think I did it until 2000, 2004 five or six i want to say i went i i think i kept my outfitter's license for a year or two but in 2005 i had a sawmill uh in encampment and a lot of employees and uh like that was about 2000 and i kept the the outfit and kept doing that and running the sawmill and trucking business and it, i was busy but anyway uh one of my clients was a safety guy for some outfit, and he was in Thailand, and his last name was Boykin. No, no relation. Kidding? Yeah. But he, he got a hold of me on this website. And he says, I want to go lion hunting with you. I'm Mark Boykin, blah, 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 blah. So we become pretty good friends. After he come out, went elk hunting and lion hunting and deer hunting, antelope, everything. Were you outfitting all of those things in Wyoming? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, when I sold the sawmill, he goes, what are you going to do now that you sold the sawmill? I said, I ain't going to do nothing for about a year. You know, I was just wore out between everything. He says, well, you want to go to work in uh, Africa for ExxonMobil? I go, sure, sign me up. I mean, this guy is such a bullshitter. He could call you on the phone. And talk and talk. You lay the phone down. You could go to town and get the mail, have a cup of coffee in town, come back, and he's still talking. 
and he didn't even know he was gone. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I thought he was full of shit. Well, a couple of days later, I get a FedEx thing requesting my passport from ExxonMobil. So I sent that in. A couple of days later, I had a visa and plane tickets to Port Harcourt, Nigeria. No kidding. Yeah. So I've never been out of the country before, you know, except to Cancun a couple of times. And, and, and uh, so, so you work for Exxon. I, I don't imagine. Did you do any hunting over there? Did you get no, to? No, I worked 28 on and 28 off. I had mm -hmm. the opportunity a couple of times, but, uh, I didn't do it because when it was time to go to work, it was time to go to work. And then right. after, 30 days was up. I was ready to get the hell home. Right. So you were coming back and forth the whole time. Yeah. How many years but did you I do like that? that? I liked that schedule. I did it for 10 years. Oh, okay. But uh, I worked for a couple other companies over there, Hess and uh, Sonnengall. And I worked uh, in Utah for Anadarko Petroleum for a while, too, here and there. So what happened with the outfitting business and, and, uh, the hounds and stuff while you were working for them? Oh, I kept hounds. I, I, I kept hounds. I had a wife that took care of everything uh -huh. while I was gone. Did the boys get involved? Did your sons get involved in all that? Yeah. And they still are my, my oldest son, uh, and I help a guy in Wyoming that doesn't have any hounds he's an outfitter mm -hmm. younger guy you know in his late 40s i would say but he's had that business there for 20 plus years he's mm -hmm. got a lot of a lot of people he don't have any hounds well i guess now he does have two or three hounds but he didn't when we first started yeah and uh and my son and i help him a little bit in the fall and then me and my youngest son have a business here in arizona Mostly just lions and bears. And I'm yeah. about done with the bear business. I had a dog hurt this year pretty bad during the hunt. And I'm not, I'm just, I just like hunting lions better. Yeah. 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 So, um, let's talk about the hounds. What kind of, what kind of hounds are you running? What type of, you know, have you got a specific bloodline of hounds that you, you like, or what's, what's your, uh, what's your preference there? I've got two dogs that are papered dogs and I couldn't tell you what the papers say. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, if they hunt, they hunt, if they don't, they don't stay long. Well, what kind of hound? Okay. So let me ask you this. What kind of hound do you like to hunt? What are some of the characteristics of the hounds that you like to hunt and, and will keep eating your feed? Well, they gotta have... be able to do. I have blue ticks, red bone, a couple walkers, some cross, some crossbreed ones. They just got to be able to, they got to be able to hunt. That's all they got to, mm -hmm. they got to be able to find a track basically in the dirt. I mean, we, we do look for tracks too when you have a client, but because uh, we don't like to do females, you know, I mean, we've ended up killing a few females over time just because they, the dogs catch them on the ground or they kill one of my dogs or something. They, they don't make it, but mm -hmm. gen generally we only let them shoot toms and they know that 
before they start. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but anyway, uh, we're just pooping around, which we do a lot. We just free cast them or rode them down the road in front of us where we know there's lions come across or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they find them. And, you know, pretty much any dog. I know people get mad at me when I say this, but, you know, in the snow, if you got a poodle that's aggressive, you can catch a lion. Yeah. In What's the dirt, it's a different story. Well, let's talk about that difference right there, because I think that's probably, uh, if you get a bunch of lion hunters together, that's one of the number one topics that comes up, you know, catching in the dirt versus catching in the snow. What's the difference? What's what's the main difference? If it's fresh snow and, and and everything's right, you can probably track one down yourself on foot. But anyway, the main the main <laughs> difference is uh, I don't think it's the dog. You know, these guys talk about well, we got dry ground dogs. I'm telling you. My dogs didn't know what it, dry ground really was until I moved to Arizona. They mm-hmm. were snow, they were snow dogs. Yeah, but they learned. They got all dogs have a good. No- I mean, not all of them have a good nose, but they're all capable of yeah. hunt, hunting in dry ground. Same as you know, coons are on dry ground, bears are on dry ground. Just the cats leave a little less scent, mm-hmm. and it's really all about the conditions, you know, even in the dirt, if it's muddy or, uh, the, the humidity is just right. Mm-hmm. Wind's blowing or the sun burns the track out. It's all about conditions. And you can take a dog that, uh, I just heard that story that, that Cody Lastro was telling on your yeah. podcast about he was in wyoming and not very many people hunt him in the dirt in wyoming not many i do and we've got some in the dirt there but uh that was a good story he told about turning that dog loose 900 yards later you know there he had it right but that's a good example of the difference between a dirt dog and a snow dog there ain't none really it's just it takes a little time to train themselves you don't train them they train themselves and then pretty soon they're figuring out they can look ahead and say oh yeah that lion's headed there he don't have to sniff every track he burns it up the road 100 yards and smells it again and then yeah all of them goes another 100 yards yeah they kind of figure out where how the lions operate they learn just like we do you know yeah it's uh i've i've hauled hounds from here i've told this before but i'll get your opinion on it uh, you know, I've hauled hounds from here down at, real close to where you're at there in Arizona in the White Mountains. It took my took my dogs a few days and to to adjust to the conditions. We would get uh, little bumps, you know, strikes that normally back east here we'd never turn loose on because we're right. like ah, that's not good enough to run. And a, uh-huh. and a load of dogs that come up behind you, a load of hounds that come up behind you that live there. And that box is blowing up, uh, you know, and we're like, what the heck is going on? And they go right up on the mountain, they catch a bear, you know, it, it wasn't that big a deal for those dogs. I really think my dogs were like, they just weren't used to that little bit of, of scent that they were getting at the time. 
but right. by the end of the week, you know, it, it was changing, you know, they were, they were starting to open a little better. They were starting to get accustomed to it. You know, that has to do, that has to do with the humidity part of that equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. I, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think, um, Dale Lee made a comment. He was close to where you hunting down there. He probably hunted right up through your country. I'm sure. But, uh, he made a comment that mountain lions can pick up their scent or they can shut their scent off. What, no, uh, what do you think about that? You know, there's a lot of old timers that said that, mm -hmm. you know, them lines turn off their scent. Yeah. I don't think that's possible because where scent comes from is little particles of skin, just like we have, just like mm -hmm. a old red, the hound dog chasing down them felons that get away from the prison. Right. You can't turn off them little, little uh, scent particles that come off your skin. Right. You know, realistically. Yeah. Now, Dale Lee was a, Dale Lee was a hell of a houndsman. You bet. I got to agree. But a lot of them old timers said that, but now there's been lines that just totally vaporize. Right. You know, you know, you go into a place at four in the afternoon, you find line tracks all over and you go, good Lord, we're coming back here in the morning. Tell you a story, many like that. You go back there in the morning, fresh snow, four days in a row, nothing. Hey, <laughs> <Vaporized>. pride. <laughs> but, but then, you know. Haven't you seen the same thing with bears, though, and coons and, and different things? I've I've seen all that on, on other stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know. Uh, I love the guy's stories and a lot of them old timer stories, but they don't turn off their scent realistically. Right. They sure you, think, hell you think the conditions just change and it, it makes the uh, scent less available to the dog over the, the time that the conditions have changed? I think a lot of it is conditions. And I think in the snow where them conditions haven't changed, I think they just stop moving they kill something and they just stay right there or something mm -hmm. i mean usually they'll make a little circle to walk their belly off and then go back to the kill or whatever you know but i think sometimes they just stay put i need to do i need to walk some circles to walk my belly off <laughs> yeah, yeah it, mine's got a little bigger over the years too but it's not bad yet but. yeah yeah I, I have, I've been, I've been making a point to ask all, all my lion hunting guests here lately about that, about, uh, lions turning off their scent. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny people take in information in different ways and they, they interpret it, but it just takes some, sometimes it just takes guys that are legends like Dale Lee to make a statement like that. And, uh, you know, people start thinking, well, I've seen that. I've seen when lines did that, maybe they can turn off their scent. So I try to ask all of my, all of my guests now Cleve Dwyer started it. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, I've kind of, I've kind of made it a point to ask all my, all my lion hunting guests now if what they think, cause I think it's, I think it's interesting. It's entertaining. It's interesting. There's people that'll, that'll fight you over it. And there's people, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just try to think about things realistically and I know where scent comes from on yeah. everybody. Yeah. So I just, 
you know, I'm not going to call the guy a liar because I'm, I'm not a know-it-all. But to me, realistically, I don't see how it's uh, possible. But it could be, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, anything's possible. So um, what's your most memorable What's what's one of your most memorable hunts? Why do you keep going back? Uh, you know, I'm not calling you old here, Doug, but I'm looking at you, and you're no spring chicken, and neither am I. I've got I've got a few less years on you than. But what is it about chasing lions with hounds? That, these hounds take us to places that normal people wouldn't go. What keeps you doing it? Well, I think it's a bad habit. <laughs> You know, it's like uh, smoking cigarettes or, or you know, people have some really bad habits and why they keep doing it, I have no idea. But I guess it's just, uh, you know, I used to ride bulls and bareback horses, you know, not like Cody. But, yeah. Uh, oh, he's a world it champion. Was, <laughs> it's, it was the adrenaline rush and, uh, you know, wanting to, wanting to beat the odds, you know something i don't know what it is but it's sure enough and now it's mostly the dogs i mean i've seen enough lions die i give a shit whether i see another one die or not you know if they mm -hmm. if you have a hunter and he gets a good one you know it's it's exhilarating and it's fun for them and it's fun but it's more fun for me just to watch the dogs mature and and come from puppies and turn into something you know how many how many years do you think you've been since you got your first town, what, 1963, I think you said? Yeah, somewhere around there. So we're closing in on, this will be 60 years. Uh, right? Well, I'm, I'm 66, so probably 50, probably, let's see. Uh, I was born in 56. So okay. It would, been, would have been about 63. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess so, that's how many years that is. Yeah. So what key do you still get excited? Do you still, what, what, you know, when we talk about when we start first start hunting, our views change from, from, and, and they should change over the years. So what, how have your views of hunting changed? What are the things that get you excited now that makes you, makes you keep going? I don't know. You, you know, you run across lots of tracks, but I think it's the, the great big toms that I find. That's probably what keeps me. When I find a big one, boy, it does something to you that I think, man, I got to get that some gun. So conditions may not be right that day. You don't get it, but you keep going back and kind of figuring out where he goes and you keep at it. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know. It's just uh Big one. It's just like seeing a 400 class bull elk, you know, that kind of your bow hunting, it comes 10 feet from you and you don't get a shot at it because the brush is in the way or whatever the reason is. Yeah. But you keep going back trying to get that son of a gun, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you, but do you still get excited when you find those big tracks? Oh, hell yeah. Do you? Every time every time yeah yeah i think that's i think that's so cool that and and this is kind of a uh you know a foreshadowing for some of our younger hunters uh 
and houndsmen that are just getting started. You know, if you do this right, you can have a whole lifetime of enjoyment and you should still be getting excited late in life, you know, to go hunting. I should have done a lot of different things, but I'm glad I still do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. What I would do if I had to quit. Yeah. You know, I've got to wear, I used to hunt horseback. Uh, when I was in Wyoming, we hunted horseback a lot with the dogs. Just free casting me in the long go, but uh, I haven't had horses for several years, I guess, since, since about 2000. Eight maybe somewhere in there, but now my knees are getting kind of bad. So I, I got me a couple of mules. Oh, there you so go. Now I'm getting excited again. But I mean, I can get down in and out of canyon, but it ain't like it used to be. I'm not I as to- I'm not as flexible as I used to be, you know. And and your back's tighter, and you know I got to spend more time, you know, staying limbered up and stuff. It it affects the way you travel through the country when you're not flexible yeah start take getting care, stiff take care of them knees don't pack out so many elk on your back and lines and everything else because <laughs> you wear them knees out <laughs> yeah yeah you know we talked about football a little bit emmett smith running back for the dallas cowboys said running backs only got so many runs in it you know and and you'll know when you hit the limit i think it's yeah. the same for you know, for hunters too, you've only got so many pack outs in you and you'll know when it, when you hit the limit. Yeah. 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 Well, tell us an epic story. What's your most memorable favorite story? You post them all the time. You're always posting about characters that you've taken hunting folks you've taken hunting, you know, what's, what's one of the, one of those stories that, uh, you would want to share and define, you know, what, what makes, makes you click doug well i've had i've had a lot of memorable ones that i certainly don't want to discount but i was in at the arizona game and fish uh building in pine top checking in a bear for one of the guys that i worked for over in africa wanted to go elk hunting well he come over and he killed a big old bull elk and then he wanted to go bear hunting so Mm -hmm. we took him and we got him a really nice bear well i was in there checking this bear in and here's this old guy in a cadillac i mean an old guy but hell he drove in there and and walked up to the building and this was when the covid thing i think first started and everybody was masked up and you had to meet meet the warden outside and all this stuff you know and of course, when I see somebody that's got a veteran's hat on, I go right over there and shake their hand, tell them, thank you for your service, you know, immediately. So I go over there and shake his hand. He tells me he's Walter Craig and he's 97 years old. And he's just there to see if the game and fish should uh, give him the teeth out of the roadkill elk that they find on the road. Cause he's a, he's, yeah. you know, he, he builds jewelry out of those mm-hmm. teeth. Out of the ivories. And uh, really, he was really good at it. Mm-hmm. So we got to be really good friends. He drove over here from Vernon. He was from Vernon, Arizona, about, I don't know, 45, 50 miles from here. 
we got to be friends, spent a lot of time together. Yeah. And when we'd kill lions over in that country, we'd stop by his house and he'd look at him. Oh boy, I'd, I'd sure like to do that. That'd be so much fun. Well, he was 97. At 97. He was, well, he was 96 when I met him. Yeah. He's and, uh, spring chicken. Summer, oh God. He, he still got his own firewood. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He was healthy. But anyhow, uh, so I sure would like to go lion hunting. Well, I had a, a break and I said, Walter, if you still want to go, I'll take you. We'll go, we'll go get one. He says, well, you know, could I bring a buddy of mine along that's been his friend for like 30 years? And I go, sure, you can do anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. So he called his buddy named Jody Hove. And uh, one day I got free and I called Dale Robertson. And I said, Dale, oh, Walter wants to go hunting really bad. I says, uh, think we could find a cat over there if I brought him over. He said, sure, we'll try, you know. So I took Walter and Jody over there and we met up with Dale and and we drove up through this canyon there and free ranged the dogs. And little Rocky dog was just coming to. And uh, Dale didn't have his dogs. He was just going to help uh, take care of Walter, you know, while we was hunting. Mm-hmm. And they had a good old time visiting in the truck. But anyway, Rocky starts boo-hooing, you know, on the, we didn't see the track, so we didn't know if it was a bobcat or what it was. He starts boo-hooing and goes, and so I let two or three dogs go. And, and uh, I guess they must have went about mile, mile and a half. And we was walking, me and Jody, and they was treed. Well, we get there, and they got a lion in the tree. But it was just too nasty a ground. I was going to, if there was a road closer, I'd called Dale. He'd have brought Walter mm-hmm. around. But he was just so happy that we caught one and took videos, and Jody got to see it. And, but he talked about that till every time I seen him. He, he, That was probably the most memorable one. He was sure a happy camper. Yeah, was he? At not at that age, would he have been a World War II veteran? Yes, he was World War II. He was there on D Day, and he, you know, he made it through. He got wounded while he was over there, and he told a lot of cool stories. Yeah, I should one story just for Walter. He said they drafted a bunch of uh, they drafted the whole tribe, the men in the tribe from New Mexico, and they was Indians. And I'm mm-hmm. not. I believe they was Navajos, but I can't remember for sure. But he said they was in his platoon, and they had got pushed back into uh, out of Germany into some other country, and I can't remember where it was. But they was guarding this. They got pushed back, and they was on the edge of this one big field, and the border was right there. Mm-hmm. He said them Indians got drunk, got to wrestling around there one Sunday afternoon. And them guns that they was in charge of, apparently you had to put your step your foot down on the on the trigger somehow to make them go off. Big mm-hmm. gun. He said them Indian got to wrestling, rolling around, and they tripped one of the triggers on one of them guns, and it went off and went over in the trees. You could see it. And he said twelve Germans Damn. come out with their hands up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. 
they That's got fun. awards and all kinds of stuff for for capturing them 12 germans he said them germans was young you know they start drafting them at 14 16 years old putting right. them to work. yeah said, they was all young germans but they they come out with their hands up and, and surrendered oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, those old those old stories my you know i grew up in that era around those world war ii veterans too and and uh listening to those old stories is it was was something special you know yeah. when you could and and you couldn't just sit down and ask them about it they were always they were always yeah. talking among themselves you know because my uncles and my grandfather and and their cousins they all served so they were all sitting around swapping stories and you know i could sneak in the room and and just sit there and listen to all these stories being told and it was it's amazing it's amazing my kids my kids will never hear those stories firsthand accounts of what happened you know i wish uh, i recorded some of them stories yeah well that's why i do this podcast so that we can record people's stories and, uh, I, I'll tell you what, I, I probably should wrap this one up. Um, I'm so glad that we, we got our technical issues, uh, worked out on all this technical, uh, stuff we have to use to record these. And, uh, I appreciate you, uh, agreeing to do this. I appreciate the opportunity too, Chris. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. You gain words of wisdom. You want to leave, uh, leave our listeners, you know, several years ago, I was pretty wise nowadays. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I know it. Yeah. Just lucky yep. to you go and, you know, right. Right. Bury your bodies. Cause you're going to need them when you get old. I hear you. I hear you. Well, everybody can follow you on social media, Facebook, uh, over on Facebook, it's Carl Boykin because they stole your identity. Mark Zuckerberg stole your identity over there. <laughs> and then over on Instagram, you got a good Instagram page too. Where, what's that one? That's uh, AZ Hunting Guide. Yeah. Yeah. AZ Hunting Guide. And uh, go over there and follow along. And, and uh, you, you post some great stuff. You just posted one this past week about uh, a preacher friend that that you'd taken hunting, you're always posting something, pictures and, and old stories. So yeah, really appreciate it. All right. Yeah. My, I had a TikTok page, but they, they busted me off there. Cause I showed some dogs woolen over a big bear once and then they did it. They, they took away my identity. So I started again. And finally I said, you know what? TikTok can just cram it. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So I quit doing TikTok. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I have avoided, I was on TikTok for a while just to look and see if it was relevant. And then uh, I didn't like it. And so I got off of it. But I think our Houndsman XP is actually going to have a channel over there. We'll see. I'm, I'm still not sold on it and uh, not convinced of it yet. But Doug, I appreciate your time. I hope you come back. We'll, and maybe maybe next time I'm out in that country, I'll swing by and see you. You do that. You're welcome here anytime, buddy. I'd love to come out and see you and, and maybe take in a hunt with you and see what you got going on. But uh, we close them out the same way every time. And until next time, Doug, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. 
Thank you much, Chris. Have a good one. Yeah. You bet.